Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We return again to the Gospel of Matthew. And instead of a section from the Sermon on the Mount, we have our Lord's encounter with the centurion. Now the centurion has been moved with great compassion. And we're used to those coming to our Lord with great compassion because it is someone of their family. A daughter, a husband, a wife, someone that they are related to. But this morning... We have the centurion who has made the trip because of a servant, someone in his household whom he has authority, responsibility towards, and he has come to Jesus for healing. When the centurion approaches him, he has a very simple request to heal his servant. And Jesus very simply says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion's response, which we have incorporated into one of our pre-communion prayers, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Because I know you and I know what it's like to have authority because I'm one of authority. I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. Jesus hears this, and he is stunned. The text tells us he's amazed. He marvels at the faith of the centurion. What is incredible about the centurion and what the Gospel of Matthew provides for us, outside of just the teachings of Christ, is all of these encounters with our Lord. Varying encounters of faith, but there's something particularly strong in this man, the centurion. So much so that our Lord marvels at the faith of the centurion. The centurion shows us an incredible belief in the authority of God. He has experience in authority but he has come with a grave matter where he knows that it is only God who can relieve his servant from the paralysis and the torment. He approaches him not wondering, not with a question of like, maybe this will happen, I'm going to figure this out, or maybe I'll test Jesus first. He just comes and says, I have a servant who is paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. There is also in this faith of the centurion that lays the groundwork for this faith an incredible humility. He believes so strongly, has trust in God, that he says, you don't even have to travel. You don't need to come to my home. In fact, I'm not worthy of you making that special trip. All you have to say is that he's healed and he will be healed. While the centurion's faith is something to marvel at, I I marvel at Jesus' marveling, that Jesus is amazed. We're talking about the Son of God here, and he is thunderstruck 
by faith. So much so that he turns to his disciples, like, here's an object lesson. Look at this fellow. He's come, and he doesn't even want me to travel. He just says, I say it, and it happens. Because our Lord says, as he looks to his disciples here, I say to you, I have found not one with such a great faith, not even in Israel. You can imagine the disciples saying, did we not leave everything behind to follow you? And you're marveling at this man. But he is a great object lesson. You don't have to come. All you have to do is say the word. And our Lord says, many will come from east and west and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer, out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What our Lord sees is faith unlike all of those around him. Greater faith than in the entirety of Israel. And it is something for us to be able to, especially as we get used to God, lose this aspect of the centurion. What do I mean being used to God? Many of us were raised with God, right? Our parents spoke of God. We are surrounded by church. It was on the lips of those around us. If we did not grow up with God around, uh, then he was at least around enough. We heard it at school, from our friends. But for those of us who have especially grown up in the faith, it is very easy for God to kind of take the back seat, to fade into the background, like background music. Or maybe the easiest way is to just kind of take him for granted such that we just kind of go about our life without really calling upon him, without really approaching him in faith and in love, but just kind of taking him for granted. And our Lord tells us that there will be those, as he speaks to his disciples then, this is also a word for us as his disciples, that there will be those who come. When he says from east and west, he means from all over, who will be able to sit at the table, there will be newcomers to the Eucharistic table. And it is their faith that can be an example to us. What our Lord has the eyes to see is the newness, the incredible vitality of just simple, childlike trust and faith. They have not you know, matured out into reasoning beyond but there's that simple trust. You've seen this in children. My youngest, Dorothea, she gets sick and she's just like, Jesus will heal me. Just, that's a matter of fact. This is the case. Jesus will heal me. This humility and trust that we see in the centurion, that we see in children, it is what we need and we need to be able to have the eyes to be able to see it in others. Not with cynicism, not with, oh, that's very nice, they're young, they're new, it's all fresh. But be able to take from that and marvel 
like Jesus. It was the eyes of faith that could see a short, disheveled, not very attractive looking man as an incredible God-bearer, as one coming out of apostolic times with great power, but with great childlike humility, faith, I'm talking, of course, of St. John Maximovich, who, if you've ever seen a picture of him, he is not uh, the most incredibly handsome of fellows. He was a rather odd-looking man. Short, he even had a speech impediment, so it was kind of hard to understand him. And there are many, not just outside of the church, but those in the church who really kind of thought him silly, foolish, that or too strict, that he actually wanted to maintain the traditions and the liturgical life of the church. Because St. John Maximovich led his people, like Moses, who by the way also had a speech impediment, remember, out from Russia to China, that's why he's called the Archbishop of Shanghai in San Francisco, from China to the Philippines, to America, and there's many other stops along the way. Last night in the hymnody, we were talking about Serbia, Africa, Holland, France, all of these places where St. John's feet walked, where he served. If you want to see an example of incredible faith, that childlike faith that's just Jesus is going to act. Jesus can just say a word and heal. Then let's look to St. John. We have in St. John, if you've read the life, and if you haven't, I encourage you, you can just look him up on the internet. There's all sorts of information on him. I'm sure there's multiple movies. I can at least think of two or three movies that have been made about St. John Maximovich. By movies, I don't mean Hollywood, you know, that kind of thing. Hollywood doesn't make movies about someone like St. John. But you have in St. John, if you have different types of saints, you have in him all of these types wrapped up into one. He's a wonder worker, which means he does great miracles. He is a healer. He was an incredible hierarch. He was known for visiting and praying in the middle of the night in the hospitals. He was the one who, as they moved from place to place, took care of all of the orphans, whether they were with the church or from without the church. He founded orphanages in Shanghai, in San Francisco. He was a great ascetic. He did not sleep in a bed. If he slept, he was dozing in a chair, and that's where he reposed in Seattle, in a chair. He was a lover of the divine services and was quite strict, but at the same time, a loving, compassionate pastor. You can read story after story, especially of those who grew up with him and children coming to talk to him. And there's one that I was reading last night of a Matushka who she would want when they're in the Philippines, he would have a little tent set up and he'd have his typewriter because he was constantly doing correspondence. She would just want to sit around him and play. And he would give her almonds and some tea and they would have little conversations. But we have with St. John 
this incredible example for us. We have photographs. We have footage. He was here. His body still lies in San Francisco. If there is a saint for us and for this time, as we heard in the hymnody, that he is an apostle to an age of coldness and unbelief, this is one to read about, to ask for his intercessions, to come close to. If we can't see the faith of a centurion or the faith of St. John, let us, as the hymn tells us, pray now that the sacred flame that St. John had within him may also rise up in our hearts. May we turn to Jesus in simple, childlike trust and faith like the centurion, like St. John, knowing that he is the living God who acts and moves in our lives, who is everywhere present and filling all things, the one who loves us even when we are confused, scattered, lost. He is the one whom we give glory, honor, and worship to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.